Hey, welcome back to Pigeon Hockey. This is Chris and today's co-host Sebastian. Hello, hello. And you know us, we're just a goalie and a goon that have taken one too many pucks or fists to the head and do not claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. So be sure to follow us on Twitter to let us know what you think, and also be sure to comment and share any hockey games, news, or videos we should cover in an upcoming podcast. So Sebastian, on today's podcast, we're going to be going over the second half of the round-robin games for the USPHL. But first, we wanted to reach out to the Rapid City Rush goaltender, Gordon Fields, best wishes out of Utah here, as last night during the game in South Dakota, he experienced a medical emergency during the game and was rushed to the hospital. All reports that we've been able to see at this point are that he's doing well. And so, you know, coming out of the Utah Grizzlies fan base here, speedy recovery to Gordy there. Hope to see you back on the ice very soon. You know, it's never good to see something like that, and I'm sure the team was shooken up and everyone in that organization. But, you know, from the reports, everything seems to be going better, so that that's some good news. Yeah, excellent news coming out of Rapid City Rush there. Again, speedy recovery there to Gordy. And then last night in the USHL, we had a goalie goal. I'm pretty stoked to see that Todd Scott of the Tri-City Storm got a goal. And what a video. Did you get a chance to see that goal? Yeah, I did. And I mean, a goalie goal is always something special. You know, obviously the goalie's fired up for getting a goal, but, you know, the boys are really fired up. Uh, you know, I, I had been a part where um, when I was playing one game, we had, they had an open net and the goal ended up scoring. And I can just remember how fired up the entire team was. Everyone loves a goalie goal. Yeah, I've never gotten a goalie goal, so uh, I love actually seeing the ones that are able to actually accomplish that and to catch it on video, and it was just the team celebrated with him. It was just a really, really cool and special moment there out of the USHL last night. And then as well, we had a couple championships crowned. So the WCHA championship, the Lake Superior State Lakers wins the WCHA championship. I believe this is their first ever. Yeah, I think it is their first ever, and I mean, with jerseys like that, they're going to keep winning. Oh, yeah, because you know they're going to be in my NCAA jersey rankings, because I love their jerseys, and I already did my rankings for the NCAA about a month ago, and uh, yeah, Lake Superior is definitely, definitely in contention. We also crowned the NCAA Women's Championship, the Wisconsin Badgers, in a dramatic, slightly weird overtime goal. The Badgers are back-to-back national champions. Yeah, and I mean, losing a national championship in overtime is always a heartbreaker. Losing a national championship in overtime on a puck thrown out front of the net, bounced off a defenseman over a goalie shoulder, that is a heartbreaker. Um, Haley and I were watching the game, and uh, they kept focusing on the defenseman that the puck went off, and you could tell she was absolutely devastated. I kind of felt bad for her, and I really wanted the the camera operator to kind of uh, uh, to just kind of bugger off, you know, just kind of get out, get out of her face. Um, you know, she she's probably never going to forget that moment for the rest of her life. But uh, I mean, on the other end, congratulations to the the Badgers. What a great win! Absolutely excellent win. And yeah, I agree with you there. It's definitely felt for the defenseman there, and de- definitely felt for the goalie. It's just one of those things where it, it's why you play the game. It happens, but ultimately, really. Congratulations on the Wisconsin Badgers going back-to-back. That's not an easy feat in the NCAA, so congratulations, Badgers. Also, something we'll be talking about moving forward, the WHL is back, so they had a bunch of games this past weekend, and the KHL is advancing in their playoffs. So super stoked to talk about that in an upcoming podcast. But for this podcast, we're jumping right back into the USPHL playoffs the second half of the round-robin play. And I'm telling you what, the second half of round-robin play destroyed the first half of round-robin play. I think the second half of games were just absolutely excellent. And so we're going to start right out the gate here. 
on Friday afternoon's games, but we'll also be covering all of Saturday's games. And again, we're going to keep these individual game recaps to less than two minutes to save on time. And we are starting with the Charleston Colonials versus the Elmira Junior Forces on Friday afternoon. So in net for the Colonials was Blake Mons, the 18-year-old out of Charleston, South Carolina. And in net for the Enforcers was Grant Linville, the 20-year-old out of Edmond, Oklahoma. First period, almost halfway through the first, Mateo Dixon opened up the scoring for the Enforcers, putting them up 1-0 before, just over a minute later, the 20-year-old out of Fort Worth, Texas, Peyton Carter, streaks down the ice and finds a player Mentioned on the previous podcast, Landon McClure and the 19-year-old out of Derry, New Hampshire, not sings up at one. Yeah, and this is just a, a great play, you know, a great strip, uh, beauty pass across the ice, and just a nice, uh, you know, tapping goal. I mean, this was just a great individual effort uh, to get the assist on this and, and a great goal at the same time. Yeah, quite a beauty. And then minutes later, the Colonials get called for interference and on the ensuing power play on an excellent power play execution, might I add. Alexander Domeski, the 19-year-old out of Oakville, Ontario, finds his fellow Canadian 18-year-old Matteo Dixon, and Dixon buries his second of the game to put the enforcers back up by one. It's two to one. Yeah, Dixon does a great job here in the power play to just kind of find himself some soft ice and just be open for a quick shot, and that's exactly what happens, and you know, they strike on the power play. Yeah, and then Nick High buries one more for the Colonials, and the first wraps up tied at two. Uh, in the second period, the Colonials add two more off the sticks of Morea and McClure, and it's 4-2 to two for the Colonials. We move into the third, and Domeski gets his second of the game to open up the scoring in the third and pulls his enforcers back within one. But that's as close as this game would get, as the Colonials would add five more goal contributions with the natural hat trick of Bryce Battaglia, followed by goals from Kay and Dicker. And that's where this game ends. The Colonials end up defeating the Enforcers 9-3. to Linville with 36-45. And Mons with 28-31. of What a game. Yeah, high-scoring game. Uh, you know, as, as a player, you love to see it. As a goalie, I'm sure you not don't love it so much. No, the game looked like it was pretty reasonable for the first two periods. But yeah, man, the Colonials ran away with that one third period. So then we move on to the Northern Cyclones versus Metro Jets. The goalies in net for this one for the Cyclones was Kyle Meyer, the 20-year-old out of Tampa, Florida. And for the Jets was Louis-Pierre Fortier, the 19-year-old out of Montreal, Quebec. First period, there's only one goal, and that belonged to Jackson Tillinghast. And then we move into the second period. The Cyclones up 1-0. The lone goal of the second period was a power play goal scored by Ben Peterson. There's a boarding penalty right at the end of the second that actually puts the Jets down a player moving into the third. And less than a minute into that period, the 19-year-old out of Fairbanks, Alaska, makes them pay. It's 3 to nothing Cyclones. Yeah, and this was just a pretty entry pass, little kind of sauce pass. You know, Puck went to the net, kind of a bit of a defensive breakdown. Puck went in the net, and I know the Jets players were kind of arguing that the net was off. Um, it did seem like the net was off. However, the Jets did push it off. You know, with the replay capabilities that we were able to have on Hockey TV, can't quite tell if the net was already off and the puck went in. The the refs have a bit of a discussion, but at the end of the day, they call it a goal. And, I mean, the Jets pushed it off themselves anyway, so, I mean, they just shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, and then the Danny Woods actually puts another one in for the Cyclones and puts them up 4-0 before the game gets a bit chippy. And a Cyclone gets called for a five-minute major, and that gives the Jets a chance to mount a comeback. And on the ensuing power play, Christian... Adragna puts the Jets up on the board, and it's 4-1 to one Cyclones. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a pretty goal. This is definitely one of those dirty area goals. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not how, it's how many. Absolutely. And then Will Jentz puts another one on the board for the Jets with just seconds left in the game. 
Uh, but it won't be enough as it just followed the Cyclones 4-2 with Fortier stopping 23-27 and Meyer stopping 30-32. of 32. Then we move into the Florida Eels versus the New York Aviators. And in net for the Eels is Alexander Curran, the 19-year-old out of Sir Tracy, Quebec. And in net for the Aviators is Michael Marino, the 19-year-old out of Staten Island, New York. No scoring in the first period, so we move directly into the second the Eels break the ice early in the second with a goal by Ryan Gorell, which is quickly followed up with by a power play goal with Casey Gerstein. And then that quickly puts the Eels up two to nothing. And then there's a slashing penalty just over halfway through the second by the Aviators. And that puts the Eels back on the power play. And once again, the 20-year-old out of Markham, Ontario, Casey Gerstein, makes no mistake with the second of the game. And the Eels are up now three to nothing. Yeah, and this was just a great fake shot pass. Um just onto the stick and, you know, back of the net, another power play goal. Yeah, and then the game gets a bit chippy here as well. Neil Player gets called on a five-minute major for contact to the head with a game misconduct. And on the ensuing power play, with less than a minute remaining in the second, the 17-year-old American, Luca Munoz, comes storming down the boards and goes bar down. The Aviators are within two. It's three to one Eels. Yeah, and this was just a, you know, a great shot and, you know, surprise, surprise, he had another power play goal in this game. Yeah, and then the third period saw the Eels get another pair of goals off the six of Crossley Stewart and a shorty by Joshua Belgrave. And that's the game. The Eels take down the Aviators 5-1. to one. Marino stopped 38-42 of and Caron stopped 33-34. of 34. We move into the MJDP and the Minnesota Blue Ox, which is the final game of the second day of round-robin play. And in net for the MJDP is Daniel Miscavige, the 19-year-old out of Macomb, Michigan. And in net for the Blue Ox is Vinny Castelletti, the 18-year-old out of Roseville, Minnesota. First period, the MJDP comes out fast and furious with three goals in the first, with Braden Tails getting the opening goal. And just minutes later into the contest, Tim Washburn getting a power play goal and then followed up by a goal off of Joseph Mosnick's stick. And that's how the first period ends, man, with MJTP up 3-0 on the Blue Ox. As we move into the second period, the MJDP's uh, Joseph Mosnick finds it back of the net again, and the MJDP is up now 4-0. But the Blue Ox immediately respond just seconds later. Alex Skrodsky pulls a Dwight Schrute spin move, and the Blue Ox are back within three. It's 4-1 MJDP. Yeah, and this was just a great breakout by the Ox. I know a bit of an overskate by the D. Uh, it ends up in the back of the net, and I'm sure they're going to want that one back. The Blue Ox actually add another tally uh, with a goal by Kale Goner to put them within two. But with just under a minute remaining in the second period, the 19-year-old out of Morristown, New Jersey, Tommy Purton, with an excellent move, an even better pass, finds Herman Ohakis, the 19-year-old Swede, creeping toward the net, and it's 5-2 to two MJDP. This was just a wow goal. Yeah, this was just great puck movement on the power play, leading to, you know, yeah, another power play goal, which this tournament seems to be chock full of them. But, uh, yeah, absolutely beautiful passing play. Yeah, and there was no scoring in the third. So that's how this day of USPHL National Championship Hockey ends with the MJDP victorious over the Blue Ox by a score of 5-2. to two. Casaletti stopped 30-34, and Miscavige stopped 27-29. of 29. We move into Saturday's action, the final day of round-robin play. And we start off with the Elmire Junior Enforcers facing the Northern Cyclones. In net for the Enforcers is Joseph Weiss, the 19-year-old out of Detroit, Michigan. And in net for the Cyclones is Trevor Wong, the 20-year-old out of Wyzata, Minnesota. So this was a tendy first period as both Weiss and Wong refused to let anything in. And I do love a good goalie battle. Just, I, I absolutely love a good goalie battle. And these two honestly played amazing, amazing games. But 
Someone finally broke the ice in the second period. It basically goes scoreless until about a less than a minute remaining when the 19-year-old out of Montreal, Quebec, Jesse Johnson, makes a slick move at the blue line and then charges in and gives the Cyclones a one nothing lead. Yeah, and this is a big, big goal. And honestly, it's a backbreaker with so little time left in the period. You know, in, in a game where it seems like first goal wins, uh, this, is, this is a big one. Yeah, absolutely huge. And I will say third period, goaltender battle continued. That was it. This was a one nothing shutout. Weiss stopped 33 of 34. Wong had the 22 save shutout. This is the first shutout of the tournament, and I will say by a minute. And his Northern Cyclones out of Hudson, New Hampshire, advanced to the next round. So congratulations to the Cyclones organization. They will be playing on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, congratulations to them. Great goaltending. So hopefully they can get that same goaltending on Sunday and uh, really push for, for a ship. Absolutely. And so the uh, Metro Jets now face the Charleston Colonials. And the first, uh, basically, this game started before the Elmira Enforcers and Northern Cyclones game, but it finished after. And when I say that this is the first or the Wong shutout was the first one of the day by a minute, I meant by a minute because let's just break into this one and see who gets to shut out in this game. But it was weird to not have a shutout the first two days of the tournament and then have back to back shutouts with really, really amazing goaltending games starting in it for the jets was william augustine a 19 year old out of livonia michigan and in that for the colonials was trevor uh Giverowski, the 20 year old out of ben salem pennsylvania so the first period no scoring again as this is just the dude the detendee battle in this game was amazing honestly Giverowski was a brick wall he really was just robbing the jets at every opportunity you know it's one of those games where again not to sound like a broken record, but it feels like, you know, the first goal wins. Yeah, and honestly, all the credit to Augustine, too. These two were just playing fantastic hockey. I just, I tell you what, the Jets were, in my opinion, slightly outplaying the Colonials, but Giveroski just wasn't giving anything up. The kid was just stopping everything. But the ice is broken in the second period. A bulk of the period actually passes scoreless until just over five minutes in the second. Brendan Dicker, the 19-year-old from Clarkston, Michigan, takes his own rebound and puts it past the Jets goaltender and the Colonials are up one nothing. Yeah, and you can tell how big this goal was by, you know, the the celebration, you know, you can hear the benches going off and uh, you know, like I said, you know, it's one of those games where it seems like you might only get one, so you know, they got the they got the one that they needed and I mean, their goaltender did the rest for them. Yeah, cuz that's where this game ends cuz there is no scoring in the third period. There should have been. Honestly, the Jets were just giving it to Giveroski. I mean, what a performance. I can't talk enough about how amazing this kid played. Anybody that wants to go back and watch this game, if this guy isn't picked up for NCAA hockey, it's a crime. He's, I mean, man, he has my bid for the best player round one. This performance single-handedly, man, I tell you what, his performance was insane and it, it's just disappointing that they won't be advancing as the cyclones already take that a seed out of this division so regardless amazing play there by by both goaltenders but you have to watch this game to just see how much of a brick wall Gavrowski was so we'll move on now to the new york aviators and the mjdp the net for the aviators is michael marino the 19 year old out of staten island new york and the net for the mjdp is daniel mccavish the 19 year old out of macomb michigan so early in the first period, the Aviators fly in, and Olaf Hart, the 20-year-old out of Stockholm, Sweden, picks up the loose puck, and the Aviators are up one nothing. 
Yeah, and, you know, how sweet it is. Um, you got to love an early start to a game. Absolutely. And with just under five minutes left in the first period, a brutal defensive giveaway. And the MGDP 19-year-old out of Roseville, Michigan, Nick Twombly, buries it. And we're tied at one. Yeah, and like you said, just brutal. I mean, you got to be better. Uh, you got to be better with the puck. I mean, if you want to win a championship in a tournament like this, I mean, you got to make as little mistakes as you can. And obviously, uh, they capitalize on a big mistake and uh, with, a, with a nice goal. Yeah, and that's actually where the first period ends, tied at one. We move to the second period, and this is where the MJDP just start to slowly but surely run away with this game with goals by Luter, Aslanian, and a power play goal by Fortin, and finally a goal by Mosnick, and we leave the second period with the MJDP up 5-1. to one. The third period isn't much different with goals by Washburn and a second goal by Mosnick, and that's where this game ends with a 7-1 uh, to one victory. For the MJDP, Marino stops 29 of 36, and McCavish stops 26 of 27. Yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, it's a big win. Like you said, it wasn't uh, a fast and furious right off the start. But, you know, coming up with a, it was a, a six-goal win, really, I mean, that's huge for confidence moving forward. Gives them a chance to maybe advance out of the B group, but we will see as we move into the game between the Minnesota Blue Ox and the Florida Eels. With this game, if the Eels win, they advance, and that would effectively eliminate the Blue Ox, and the MJDP. The Aviators are already mathematically eliminated. So in net for the Blue Ox, it's Vinny Castelletti, the 18-year-old out of Roseville, Minnesota. And in net for the Eels is Alexander Caron, the 19-year-old out of Sorrel, Tracy, Quebec. First period, just under five minutes in. Zach Earl, the 20-year-old out of Paw Paw, Michigan, with a beauteous one nothing Blue Ox. Yeah, and the Eels are a little soft here on their blue line and kind of let them walk in, and uh, it lets the, lets the Ox take the lead here. Yeah, and I tell you, man, I don't know Alexander Caron, but I like him. Very aggressive goalie. Big fan here. So I will just say it here, Swayo and me, uh, let's be friends. Because I tell you what, man, <laughs> he was looking for a fight. <laughs> he was, he's an aggressive goalie. I like that. Uh, but we move on to the second period. And McAlpine adds another tally for the Blue Ox and make it 2-0 before Florida responds with a goal off the stick of Turcotte to pull the Eels within one. Just a minute later, the Eels storm back into the zone, and Demid Podrozov, the 21-year-old Russian-American out of Muskegon, Michigan, ties the game at two. Yeah, and this time it's the Ox are a little soft in their, in their end, right? They just kind of let them walk right in, and it cost them with a, with a goal. Yeah, and it was just seconds later that Cloud takes the lead right back for the Blue Ox, and, and it's a... Uh, and it was just minutes later that Cloud takes lead right back for the Ox at 3-2. And minutes later that, once again, Pedrezov buries it and ties it back up at 3. That moves us into third period, tied at 3. And it was a goaltending battle. Straight up. Once again, loved it. And so for the first time in this, over, in this tournament, we're heading to overtime. Now, overtime rules are, I believe it's a five-minute period. No shootout, no winner, no loser if nobody scores. So... That's what actually ends up happening. <laughs> the attendees the will refuse to let anything in. Excellent play by both Castelletti and Caron. This game ends at three, but due to the victory of the MJDP minutes earlier, that actually secured the Eels' advancement into the next round. So congratulations to the Florida Eels organization out of Fort Myers, Florida. They're moving on. Yeah, and I mean, keep wearing those black North Dakota-style jerseys, and I'm going to keep cheering for you. Yeah, those are actually pretty sharp. I did take, I, I did pay attention to them during this tournament because I'm like, what's he talking about? I'm like, I know the North Dakota style jersey, and I checked it out. I'm like, okay, yeah, those do look pretty good. They actually did it right. 
Yeah, I, I think they did a good job. I mean, I'm not always a huge fan of the number on the front of the jersey, but the way that this jersey is kind of constructed, I absolutely love it. That's actually a gorgeous jersey. Speaking of gorgeous jerseys, two of my favorite jerseys are about to face off, the Chicago Cougars versus the Utah Outliers. This is what I will say is the only game in the tournament that's a play it for your teammates, play it for yourself game, because the results of this game mean nothing in the overall tournament scheme. You know, this is one of those games where you're playing it just for the pride at the end of the season to leave it all on the ice and know it's the last game with your boys. So in net for the Cougars is Asher Motu, the 20-year-old out of Highland Park, Illinois. And for the outliers is Fabian Pizera, the 18-year-old out of Astana, Austria. I will tell you, I have no idea who Pizera is watching the outliers all season. I'm sure he's played but I've never recalled seeing him play or seeing any games for him in. So he was kind of a new goalie for me to, to notice with the outliers. And uh, tell you what, pretty impressed. We move into the first period. The outliers strike first in this contest on a goal by Noah Barasa. Then a few minutes later, Utah with a bad giveaway. And the Cougars, Kevin Johnson, the 20-year-old out of Mawa, New Jersey, ties it at one. Yeah, I mean, in a tournament like this, and especially a game where, you know, you're just trying to leave it on the leave everything on the ice and, you know, leave with a bit of pride, mistakes are usually going to end up in the back of your net, and that's exactly what happened here. That actually is enough for the first period. We moved to the second period, and this is, again, another tenny tourney, so no goals. So we move into the third period. Just over halfway through the third, actually, Utah breaks the one-to-one tie off the stick of Josh Harrell, the 20-year-old out of Franklin, Tennessee, and Utah's up two-to-one. Yeah, in a game where, you know, you said the goalies are playing great hockey. I mean, this is a huge, huge goal here for Utah. Yeah, and it, that's it. That's the that's the game. Utah defeats the Cougars and is able to end their season on a positive note with a 2-1 to victory. But again, I haven't recalled seeing Pizarra in net this season. But from what I saw, I'm very, very impressed with this young netminder. He had some amazing saves this game. And honestly, the goal that he let in, that wasn't his fault, man. That was, that was where's your head at defense? That <laughs> was so honestly, excellent game by Pizarra. But Motu had 39 of 41, and Pizarra had 26 of 27. So really, really excellent goaltending battle between the Cougars and the Outliers here. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, this is just one of those games where you just want to finish off the season, you know, on a high note, and that's exactly what they did here. So I mean, congratulations on a great season, and yeah, you know, hopefully, like you said, with, with a young goaltender, something to build upon. Absolutely. And that actually moves us into the other game happening in Group C, the Islanders Hockey Club versus the Charlotte Rush. And this is the polar opposite of the previous game. This is a winner takes all match. The game I've been most excited for this entire tournament so far because it's there's so much on the line, you know, you just know it's going to be a good game. And man, I was not left disappointed. The Islanders in net start William Netview, the 19 year old out of Oka, Quebec. And the rush start, once again, David Batiste, the 19-year-old out of Victor, New York. I will say, with what they were talking about before the game, if this game results in a tie, the rush would advance to the next round. So the Islanders need to win to advance. It doesn't matter by how much. They could win 3-2, to two, or it doesn't matter, 7 nothing. They have to win to advance. A win or a tie by the rush advances them. So, with five seconds remaining in the first period, because... Nothing much else happened in the first period. It was a great goaltending battle. The Islanders' Jack Kressel scores a huge goal, but no one will ever know what it looks like except those who were there because the person running the camera in a massive, massive game like this must have been infatuated by an LOL on their phone because they sure weren't paying attention and they weren't in the moment. Yeah, um, you know, you definitely, you know, I, I may not have seen this goal 
but I can tell you I definitely felt it. Going into intermission in such a huge game like this where it's a win or go home, um, getting a goal like this, taking all the momentum you can go into the locker room with, this was a huge goal. I just, like you said, I really wish I could have seen it. I maybe would have liked it a little bit more. Oh, I would have loved it more. And honestly, I'm sure Jack Kressel, who would like to have a really awesome video about his performance so that he can be picked up by another team in the future, moving forward in NCAA or, you know, wherever he wants to go, this would have been an amazing goal to show in a massive game like this. And he will never be able to do that. So unless Kressel happened to be skating out on the ice with his phone out, no one will ever know what it looked like. So I'm, I'm really, really irritated. And I will go off on this again because I did it on the EOJHL game. If you're going to be at the game, pay attention to the game. I was really, really, for such big games like this, the camera work was brutal. 80% is not good enough for the national championships. Everything has to be caught. You have to be paying attention every game. And you're going to hear me rant about this as we go on further because this is not the only time this happens on day three. It was really a rage point for me. Anyway, another second period tendy tourney in this one leads to no goals. And we move into the third. And then with just five minutes remaining in the game, the Islanders with a bit of a sloppy play at the blue line and the rush come in. And Jared Scott, the 19-year-old out of Kenosha, Wisconsin, ties it. This baby's at one-to-one. Yeah, and I mean, I've mentioned it time and time again during, you know, this championship, national championship kind of tournament here. You can't be sloppy in your own end. I understand, you know, mistakes happen, whatever. You got to tighten things up because it just seems like every time a team is sloppy in their own end and turn over the puck, it ends up in the back of their net. And it's going to be a killer for somebody trying to win a national championship here. We move into the overtime period here because the Islanders in Russia are not able to get a not able to get any goals to wrap up the game here. And as I said in the beginning of this thing, and I was watching this, I'm like, there's no way this game's going to end up in a tie. There's just no way. And here we are moving into overtime. I'm like, well, this is it. Uh, If the Islanders score, they advance. If the Rush score, they advance. But as the Rush have the goal differential tiebreaker, the Islanders need to score. So here we go. I will say this. I will call out bad refing when I see it. I haven't mentioned refing at all at this tournament and before, honestly, for the most part, it's been pretty decent. It, I have nothing to complain about with the refing. This game, it's like the whistles disappeared in the third period. And they were, you know, as Michael Gary Scott would say, disappeared to be working because the rush should have been called for at least two different blatant penalties in this overtime period. But I understand this concept that happens in big games and it happens in big games in every sport at every level refs feel like they have to put their whistles away and let people play. And you hear people say it all the time, let the boys play, let the girls play. No, call out blatant penalties. If people know they're going to get away with garbage at the end of a big game, they're going to they're going to play garbage plays. And I'm just saying the rush got away with a couple blatant penalties. If I was the Islanders coaching staff, I'd have been losing my mind. I know you got to outplay bad refing and you got to outplay bad plays. And, you know, a little bit of a sloppy play on the blue line. They might not be in this situation. But, Rash, you got to call blatant stuff because they did. They actually had to call a, another blatant penalty right at the end of this game. As, uh, you know, an Islander is given a five-minute game misconduct for spearing, which is 100%. You know, he speared, out, get out. You know, it doesn't matter what part of the game you're in. Uh, but this was 11 seconds remaining in overtime. 
11 seconds remaining in overtime. The Islanders call for spearing, which the rush had been called for a couple blatant penalties, in my opinion, leading into this, which should have allowed the Islanders to at least be on a power play because the rush deserved that much at least. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And the rest had the whistle away for all the third in the overtime until blatant spearing penalty. And this game looks over, right? It's it's over. 11 seconds left. You got caught for a five-minute major. 11 seconds remaining in the game. It's over. And then they dropped the puck in net view with a great save. But then somehow, with, with just seconds remaining in the game, the rush allowed a shorthanded breakaway. <laughs> like, how does that happen? And what I will call, and I have to edit this out, the oh, moment of the tournament, as you were allowing a breakaway with four or five seconds left on your goalie in overtime, Baptista stands tall and ends this game because he doesn't allow the puck in and this game ends in a one, one tie and the rush advance in the next round. So, you know, it is what it is. The rush played amazing this whole tournament and they deserve to be where they are. Uh, and this team out of North Carolina will advance. I tell you what, man, this game was wild. And I will also say that the camera operator should never, ever, 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 ever be allowed to do another important game ever 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 um so like they could do tomorrow or you mean like never ever dude <laughs> like ever so anyway uh so moving into group d action now where the fresno monsters are already eliminated uh and the toledo cherokee are with a win advancing on so we're going to start with the first game here where the Moose need to win to even have a chance. And it's going to be the Fresno Monsters versus the Minnesota Moose. In net for the Monsters is Knut Lowe, the 20-year-old out of Fort Nelson, British Columbia. And for the Moose, Tristan Hadley, the 20-year-old out of Gilbert, Arizona. All right. First period. I'm just going to get right into it again. The camera went inoperable for several minutes of this game. Now, I understand maybe there's a medical condition, something. There's a lot of things out there. I don't really need to know. But somebody should have been able to grab the camera. But the camera sat there untouched for several minutes. But we were actually lucky enough because it was just vaguely touching the net. And we caught a glimmering snippet out of just dumb luck, uh, out of Malsagov's goal to put the moose up one nothing early in the first. And then just before the halfway mark of the first period. And a beautiful play led to a beautiful pass from the 17-year-old out of Anchorage, Alaska, Colton Gherkin to a waiting one-timer from Cole Jungworth, the 20-year-old out of Bloomington, Minnesota. And it's 2 nothing moose. Yeah, and you know this is what I'm just gonna call the uh, the segment uh, two great goals and one not so great camera operator because uh, <laughs> come on, help me out here. I you know I, I want to watch the game, but if you're gonna be standing staring into a corner or you know the ones that stare at center ice for so long, I understand this is a big game and I want to watch it, but I also just don't want to watch paint dry, so I'll just go watch something else if that's the case. I'll tell you what, this is one This is the one reason I bring this stuff up. If this was a free service, I couldn't complain. I would just have to deal with it. But I pay, you know, $30 a month to watch these games and have the options to watch a lot of these games. And I just expect the camera operators to at least want to be there. Uh, so, you know, I think that's one thing. If I'm a hockey TV executive, you could definitely lose patrons off of people not doing their job. So I'd definitely be working with every one of these teams that want to have their games aired on hockey TV and just make sure that stuff is reviewed and, and such. So I don't know. I don't know what else to do about that. But if hockey team wants to hire hockey TV wants to hire me, I'd be more than happy to talk about way aheads. Okay. Then with seconds remaining in the first period, Tyler McNeil pulls his boys back within one and it's two to one moose. 
And that actually takes us into the second period where just minutes into the second, it's once again Tyler McNeil who once again buries another one-timer and it's all knotted up at two. I tell you what, man, this McNeil kid, he's got the one-timer down. And then just over a minute later, Bullduck adds another one for the Monsters to put them up three to two. Then Haley adds another thereafter and it's four to two Monsters before a late period response really by the Moose's Fadiv to pull them back within one to make it four to three Monsters lead. Dude, this period was just crazy. This whole game was just crazy. It's it was a fast and furious. That's all you can really say about it, right? I mean, you had you had some you had some good goals, you had some bad camera, you had you know you just had a bit of everything in this game, and I mean you gotta love it. Yeah, honestly, every single time you thought some team was gonna have the momentum, the momentum would swing again. In the third period, if you thought the first couple periods of this game sounded crazy, wait for the third. <laughs> oh, it just gets more and more interesting coming into the third period at four to three with the monsters leading because just under five minutes into the third CJ Hoyt ties the game up for the moose, but the moose get themselves into penalty trouble and Anton Svensson puts the monsters back up by one before an almost immediate response by Ahmed Malazgov of the moose. We're all just tied up at five with just over eight minutes to go. I mean, this is, this is just one of those games where it's kind of like he, they, they don't care what's at stake at this point. They just want to win a game and they're just going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. This is a last goal wins type of mentality. That's what's happening in this game. The last thing that scores is probably the game winner because they're just going to keep going back and forth. And man, it stayed crazy because uh, uh, Chase saw, puts the moose back up by one and it's six to five but hold on because just over a minute later tyler mcneil with the hattie and we're all knotted up at six with six minutes remaining man and then just with 90 seconds remaining in the game we see a fight and after an apparent goal by mikhail grivalenko the 19 year old out of astana kazakhstan to make the sink seven to six i just i saw the fight they're saying there was a goal scored did that lead to the fight i just watched the whole thing unfold i mean what did you see in this man um well i'm just gonna say something in here before it's just trigger warning i apologize if this triggers anybody not my what i want to do but um i mean you gotta love it uh enforcers are back in hockey you're seeing it at this level you're seeing it at the national hockey level you're seeing it at the khl those star players are starting to be protected again and i mean as someone who has taken a punch in the face for their teammates, you have to love that this type of player is back in the game. I absolutely love it. If you hate it, I'm sorry I'm hurting your feelings right now, but guess what? Hockey's back. Here we go. No, I'm with you on this completely. And of course, I've never ever going to condone fighting being out of the game. I think fighting is actually a very necessary part of hockey because uh, that's what how you protect star players is the threat of getting your, your nose broken. And your teeth knocked out or being KO'd by Evander Kane. You need to know that there could be repercussions for targeting goalies, targeting star players, starter, you know, targeting rookie players. I don't believe in fighting for fighting's sake, like, oh, we need to get the team motivated again because we're down four to nothing. That's just stupid. Honestly, I I I just think those fights are dumb. I think fighting is there for a specific reason. Now, of course, I'm a goalie, you're a goon. We can disagree on this. Uh, I think fighting for fighting's sake is stupid. I think it should be extremely restricted at younger levels. Once these players get to like 16 and older, you know, I don't think you completely take it out of the game. I like the way the USPHL does it, truthfully, with their you fight, you get suspended for a game mentality because uh, it it definitely reduces the risk of do you really want to fight for this cause? But it also still allows a player to be like, no, I'm going to send a message because we play this team again. You know what I mean? 
So I think hockey definitely needs to stick with fighting. I think it's a necessary part of the game in a lot of cases, but in certain cases, I I mean, what do you think? I, I think fighting for fighting's sake, where they drop the gloves start to start the game, or, oh, let's get my team motivated again, we're being beat 6 nothing. I think those fights are just ridiculous. I mean, it, it depends on the situation, right? I mean, sometimes if it's a one-goal game and you can just tell that all the momentum is on one side, and I mean, if you can... This is this for me as watching guys is a pet peeve. If you've got the momentum and someone challenges you to a fight, I hate when people say, "Well, you gotta toughen up and take that fight." Absolutely not. You're up. You have all the momentum. You just keep going. If they want to beat the crap out of you and jump you, that's great because you're gonna get a power play. I hate enforcers on the other team that will accept a fight when you know this is a momentum swinging fight. Um, to me, it's just kind of like you've got the momentum. Leave it as it is. That being said, I don't care if it's at the start of a game, at the end of a game, in the middle of a game. If this is a fight because something happened, you know, to a rookie on your team or someone, you know, whatever, a star player or whatever, or if a player took, you know, a, a late hit on somebody or whatever it is, if it's settling a score, I'm all in for it. I mean, you got to protect your guys. I mean, like you said, I mean, you look at guys like Wayne Gretzky. I mean, he always had a bodyguard. Um, so it made him great. You couldn't take a cheap shot on him because if you took a cheap shot on him, you knew you were probably going to the dentist. Um so it's kind yeah, of... and I believe in that completely. And I think, like I said, it's not just star players or rookie players or goaltenders. Dude, if your teammate that completely can take care of himself just gets a dirty hit from the side, you need to send a message. It yeah, won't be tolerated. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one thing I think the game kind of went away of, you know, especially um, you can see the NHL kind of spearheaded this of trying to, like, you know, put put away with the enforcer. But that being said, the game is so fast now. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes a dirty hit isn't on purpose. You know, it's someone turned or whatever, but it's still a dirty hit that hurt a player. You just got to send the message that, hey, if this is going to be a 50-50, it's either going to be clean or dirty hit. You don't take it. And for the players who, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to say any names, <laughs> Tom Wilson, um, who usually do take the 50-50 hit and it ends up being a dirty hit, you need someone who can go in there and respond. Because the thing is, is if no one responds to that, as a teammate, you just took a huge hit, you know, you're hurt. And you're looking around, and your teammates are just kind of staring out. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just gonna bring it back to the NHL one more time. And I know we're talking about something else, but just for people, they can they can kind of relate. You look at Austin Matthews the last few years. He's a great player. I mean, he's the number one scorer in the league right now. And you know, teams can basically do whatever they want to him, and his teammates kind of just look at them like, "Hey, please don't do that to Austin. You know, please don't hurt him." You need someone who's gonna go in there and say, "Enough's enough." I'm going to take care of this. So the next time you go to, you know, give him a slash or give him a cross check, you know that you're going to cross check him and then you're going to punch him in the head. Yeah, that's where you find a, a player like Wayne Simmons that knows that, you know what? You're not going to touch my kids. You're not going to touch my star players. You're not going to touch my buddies. I think that honestly having enforcers in hockey actually prevents more injuries than people think. I think, yeah, like you said, if you have, if you have an unprotected Austin Matthews out there, yeah, what team's not going to take a run at him? You want that kid, you, you you know, you want him off his game. You want him, you don't want him scoring on your team. You want him concerned about where the next hit's coming from instead of playing hockey. And if you have an enforcer on the team, all likelihood is Austin Matthews is going to be a little bit more free to do what Austin Matthews does best and score goals and play amazing hockey because, man, knowing that the enforcer could just be there to rip your teeth out if if you lay a dirty hit on him, is enough to keep a lot of players honest. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's it's kind of, you know, it, and the enforcer doesn't have to be there to just start a fight any chance they have or whatever it is. The enforcer is more there as is needed. Do I think there's room for an enforcer who shouldn't be playing hockey? Like, you know, there was some guys that were just out there to fight. 
weren't very good hockey players. No, I don't think there's room for that in the game. But the thing is, is there are some very skilled enforcers who can bring, you know, maybe 10 goals a year or whatever on a fourth line. But also, you know, are great in the locker room. They're a great veteran. But also guys know that when they're on the ice, they've got their backs. Um, that's something that, you know, I think kind of with this fight, when we're, we're bringing it back to the national championship here, this is a huge tournament. You know, I you know whatever was said or done for this fight to start, I mean, you know, I'm sure the guys on the teams appreciated the two guys that went to battle um, to for whatever reason it was. But the thing is, it's, you you know, there's someone there to always have your back, and and to me, it's a crucial part of the game. And um, you know, I'm 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 happy to have it back. Yeah, and actually, we should make that into a whole podcast. Fighting, absolutely, hockey. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be an upcoming podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll actually move on with this game because it's almost over. And with 22 seconds left in the game, Theo Haley adds the insurance goal and ends the Moose's season for sure. And the Monsters can go home with their heads held high as they finish with a victory over the Moose of 8-6 to six, with Hadley stopping 24-32 and Lowe stopping 36-42. Final game of the tournament. Carolina Junior Hurt, well, not the tournament, of the round robin play. Carolina Junior Hurricanes versus the Toledo Cherokee. The Toledo Cherokee win and they're in. That's what this one's all about. The Moose, in this case, we already know are effectively eliminated. They didn't know that because both these games are happening at the same time. But we will tell you, Carolina needs to score a bunch of goals to win this one and actually advance. And Toledo just needs to win. Because uh, honestly, Toledo could still lose this game and still advance. So Carolina needs a specific amount of goals and needs the, the moose to lose by a certain amount of goals in order to advance. So here we go. This is all for Toledo right here to advance on to the next round. The Hurricanes start Jack Perna, the 20-year-old out of Sykesville, Maryland. Cherokee start Joey Cormier, the 19-year-old out of Brownstown, Michigan. First period, the Canes break the ice on a goal off the stick of Jordan Gagnon. And then I have absolutely no idea what happened with Zest Domazak's goal because, again, just horrific camera responsibilities. Pretty sure at this point someone's preteen is doing the camera work. It, it, it's just that bad. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I don't even know what to say here. It's a national championship. You're, you know, as the host city, I'm sure they're hiring or bringing volunteers or whatever it is. But, I mean, you've got to clean this up. I mean, not only is this got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of eyes on this tournament as fans, parents, family members, uh, you know, coaches of other teams, uh, people looking to, you know, recruit these players. This is a very important tournament. And to me, it's just kind of you need to focus a little more and you know maybe you need to get more volunteers maybe you know one per game or whatever it is to make sure the focus is there but just not a good enough job during this national championship on the camera work no not at all and that's why i'm calling it out because it needs to be corrected because this is a lot of kids futures this is a lot of scouts looking at this stuff a lot of game review stuff for teams a lot of families and friends that can't be there that are watching and I mean, if my kid was playing on the ice there and I couldn't be there or my nephew or, you know, whatever's playing it and I'm missing the goal because you're too busy on your phone or you're distracted, like stop, just move on, find somebody who's willing to watch the game and actually catch these moments of these kids careers, because it's infuriating that I have to keep talking about it. Truthfully, it is. But regardless, we move forward with less than a minute remaining in the first Jacob Schnapp, the 20 year old out of Newport, Ritchie, Florida with a beauty and it's two to one canes. Yeah. I mean, this is a beauty goal with great timing. I mean, this helps really take the momentum that's in the locker room with you. 
Yeah, and then early in the second, Tim Prexler puts the Canes up 3-1, to one, and then the Canes get into some penalty trouble, and the 20-year-old out of Trenton, Michigan, Drew Welsh, buries a power play goal to put the Cherokee back within one. It's 3-2 to two Canes. Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, this was a needed goal. In a game like this, you can't go down three goals uh, to strike to get back within one. I mean, what you, that, 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 this is a huge goal. Yeah, and like I said, goal differential definitely matters in this game. So the Cherokee need to stay close and honestly win it so they can advance. And then just a minute later, the Canes go back up by two on a goal by Daniel now, and it's now again four to two leading into the third. And again, here we go. Move third period. Daniel now gets his second of the game almost midway through the third period and puts the Canes up five to two. And because the Monsters defeated the Moose by two, this this is a pretty important goal right here. Due to the goal differential, this actually even stuff up. So a three-goal victory in this case means that the Canes would advance and the Cherokee would be eliminated. So the Cherokee need to find a way to fight back. But that doesn't happen. The game ends at a 5-2 victory for the Canes with Cormier stopping 49 of 54. Wow, did they unload on Cormier. And Perna stopping 17 of 19. Due to the goal differential... Basically being even, the additional tiebreaker was who beat who. And in this case, the Canes beat the Cherokee. And the Cherokee are going home and the Canes are advancing. So I was kind of stunned by this result. But congratulations to the Carolina Junior Hurricanes out of Raleigh, North Carolina, who advanced to the next round. Yeah, I mean... What what a you know what a big a big push for them. I mean they're able to move on, and I mean I'm super excited. I mean I think all the teams who have moved on have absolutely earned it. You know they put in the time, they put in the work, and you know I'm excited for Sunday. Yeah, I think it's going to be some amazing game Sunday. It's basically New Hampshire versus you know the south the south because <laughs> you talk about the teams that advance. You have Charlotte from North Carolina. You have Carolina Junior Hurricanes from North Carolina. You have the Florida Eels from clearly Florida, Fort Myers, and then the team up from New Hampshire, the Cyclones. So it's really the South versus New Hampshire at this point. But the stage is set. And with the way things unfold, if everything is indeed correct from what I saw last night, because I had to sit around for 15 minutes watching blank ice to figure out what was happening. This means the Charlotte Rush will face the Northern Cyclones, while the Florida Eels will face the Carolina Junior Hurricanes. The game times are 3.20 p.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So hopefully right after you listen to this podcast, you can jump right into the first game. Uh, And honestly, get ready for some excellent USPHL Nationals action. And don't forget that the game, the actual national championship game, will be at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday. And I will tell you, Sebastian... I will miss the beginning of this game as I will be getting my first COVID-19 vaccination shot at that time. I actually have a 1.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time appointment for my COVID shot. Not missing that shot for anything uh, because that allows me to hopefully go back to normal sometime soon. But uh, so wish me luck on that. But I will definitely miss the first half of this game as I will be getting vaccinated. I live in Canada, so no comment when I'll be getting getting ours. But we won't get into a political podcast here. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be it's going to be a great day of hockey. Teams as more they push and push and push to get into this national championship. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see who gets crowned as national championship here when this is all said and done. Yeah, this will be excellent because honestly, like I said, the Charlotte Rush, they advanced on. So congratulations to them, the Cyclones, the Eels and the Hurricanes. This will be 
I'm excited for these three games. Uh, again, anyone listening, these games should be starting very shortly. Again, 3.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on My Hockey TV. So if you're not paying for it, this might be the time to start it and actually get My Hockey TV and get some of this USPHL National Championship action. But that's where we're going to wrap this up today. And so the next podcast, you'll hear from us on Monday evening where we will discuss how all of this unfolded, and we can't wait to watch these games and talk about them. So that's where we'll wrap this up. This is Chris and Sebastian with Pigeon Hockey. Have a great day. And we'll catch you next time.